got to work for it. So, yes. you know, we cleared the schedule, Niall went, we, you know, we had a pitch, we had expansion plans, we had all this sort of stuff. And in the end, it was done over lunch. But, you know, and I think Niall nearly said, but I have a presentation, but we didn't. <laughs> no, and, no. you know, and there was that, that you know, do the work, yes. uh, work hard and, and, and work, make sure you're ready to grab it with both hands. The Architects of Business on Joel, in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year, telling the inspirational stories behind Ireland's most successful entrepreneurs. Hello, and welcome back to The Architects of Business on Joe, made in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year, where we hear the inspirational stories behind some of Ireland's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Patrick Hawhey, filling in for Sonia Lennon, and at this episode, we talk to Gillian Maxwell and Niall Stringer, the power couple behind the Irish branch of the popular retail store, Tiger. Gillian, Niall, welcome to the Architects of Business. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Could you start by describing Tiger, but not just Tiger as a company, but also the experience of being in a Tiger store, which is kind of a bit different to a lot of the stores that people might be in. So Tiger is essentially a, a variety store. We sell a variety of products. But what we're trying to do is to offer the customer uh, really high quality design, but at low cost. Um, so, and, and offering it in a fairly unique shopping experience. So, you know, when you shop in high-end stores, there's great lighting, good music, and you feel like you're in a nice shopping environment. And we've always talked about that, you know, when you talk in a value, when you shop in a value retailer, you can feel poor, whereas in Tiger, you should feel like a millionaire. So we're trying to offer that high-end shopping experience that new products changing all the time. We have. Uh, Every month we would have a new selection of products so that each time you come into the store is something new that you've never seen. And then a variety of products that are quirky, different, a little bit irreverent um, and something that, you know, hopefully a customer will have never seen before and now can't live without. Mm. Um, you know, taking things and we often talk about uh, the difference between being functional and emotive. So if you have to clean the table, you'll get a cloth and, you know, it might be blue or yellow and it's ground, it cleans the table. But if you take something and it's got moustaches or rubber ducks on it, it, emotes a it, it evokes a smile and it creates mm. an emotion. And so, you know, the cost the same at a, at a euro each or two euros each but why wouldn't you have the thing that creates a bit of emotion in yourself well it's an interesting word emotion because i was in the tiger store in angel street recently and i kind of was watching people how they were interacting with the store and the products and you could see them smiling and you could see them almost like it's not just going in in a functional way and buying something and leaving they were sort of moving in a sort of a river-like motion throughout the store almost in a bit of a trance but smiling and kind of pointing to things and talking to each other about the things mm -hmm. that's quite special Niall isn't it it is it is and it's it's uh, I think there's there's not a day go, bo goes by when we're in a tiger store that someone isn't either bouncing a football or hooting a, a bicycle horn or something so there, there's it's a bit of a fun store and I think when people are you know um, connecting with the music they're looking at the products and they're in enjoying a shopping experience, I think it all sort of adds to the to the overall experience. And one of the things also that we, we've managed to do over the years is we've a, a new range of, we, we constantly update our range of products. So there's around 2,000 products in, a, in any Tiger store at a given time, wow. but about 400 of those are new every month. Mm. So for um, Valentine's Day, for example, we're, we're gear, we're, we're, our camp 
campaign is geared towards Valentine's Day and that finishes and then Easter comes. So it's Easter bunnies and Easter eggs and we gear towards that. And then we go into the summer holidays and on to back to school. So we're yeah. constantly yeah. evolving and giving people a reason to come back to see what's new, what I need for this season or this month and, and, and part of this campaign. And then and they enjoy the shopping experience. And I think there's a whole lot of psychology that goes into the actual store. I mean, we, we create the maze, you know, there's this, this uh, we use a location. So you know, you're putting your best sellers in an O location. As you go around the store, there's this, you know, shock of something new or surprise of something new. Uh, we have a rule that nothing can be sold unless there's a direct light on it. So really good lighting. That's fascinating. And then the music, there's something deep I mean, the one question you get asked the most when you're in a tiger store is, where can I get the playlist? And yeah. it is, um, it's music that's feel good, that you know somewhere deep in your subconscious and you, you know, it keeps you moving and happy and, and, and you know, emotes uh, uh, definitely that feeling to remain and to dwell in the store. So, I mean, a lot of, you know, very basic retail psychology, but done well and, I suppose the icing on the cake for both of us is the people. Um, you know, we really spend a lot of time recruiting good people yeah. Yeah. and training them and, and really empowering them to be great ambassadors for the brand. Yeah, and I know you've you've got a lot of experience in recruitment and you're kind of an expert in this area and having recruited and brought like over 200 people into your business over the last nine years or so um, is a real feat and it's something that I would like to actually touch on a little later in the interview. Mm -hmm. But I want to jump back a little bit first because we're talking about the experience of being in a store and the emotion. The experience you've just described, is that how you felt when you walked through your first Tiger store <laughs> in London when you yeah. were looking for that umbrella on the rainy day? Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. I mean, I went. Did it connect I, I with you? Was it, I mean, yeah. I, I bought a lot that first day. <laughs> I think what I think what connected with me was we we walked in looking for one item, and Gillian had two baskets of items filled in, is, in yes, a very short yeah. period of time, and I just said, you know, I think my question was, can we not get this at home? Is this not available? He was impatient. He wanted us to get going and get out. You know. Yes, yeah. I am a little. Can we not impatient. get this in Ireland? <laughs> um, but uh, it, uh, Gillian's response was. Tiger isn't in Ireland. And I think, you know, we'd been in the store five minutes, yet Gillian was describing a store as if she was in a, as if she, it was a regular mm. local yes. neighborhood store. And I just felt that that second, there was something in this brand yeah. that we should investigate more. Yeah. And, and, I think and then we sort of I went after it. the aesthetic really talked to you, the aesthetic of the store, the, 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 the look and feel of the furniture and the lighting and everything. Yeah. Um, and for me, I had two small kids, the products were just banging my, I was the target market. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one was about to start school and, you know, we, we one had a birthday coming up. So we, you know, purchased for all those sort of things. Like, um, and so definitely it was it was that kind of we got the buzz. And, and I think every time and we went into a different Tiger store until we'd done the deal, we still got that buzz. And that was a really good sign for us. But I, what I find interesting is that there'd be a lot of people watching and listening to this episode who will have been in London or Spain or anywhere around the world, seen a great product or great service and said, wouldn't this work really well in Ireland? We should do something. And then they come home and obviously that never happens. What is different about you two? that you actually took this idea and made it happen on a grand scale. What is it about you? Uh, I think we're, we're just 
um, quite tenacious about following stuff up and taking it as far as we possibly can. Um, Leonard Labowicz at the time was the guy who invented Tiger Stars, a Danish guy, and he invented Tiger. Very charismatic character, I believe. Very charismatic character, great guy, and but very, very busy and hard to sort of say, okay, Leonard, we, can we meet? And we needed to meet him to to agree a deal. So we had we had uh, all the groundwork done, but the final piece of the puzzle was to meet Leonard. So we couldn't line up a meeting with Leonard at a certain, certain time on a certain day. So I eventually said, okay, guys, I'm going to fly to Denmark on a Tuesday morning. I'll be there the Friday evening and I'll meet Dan uh, Leonard any stage, breakfast, morning, noon or night between then. So you and hadn't made the appointment before you flew to, this is, you, you're going to be there. We, we, and, we, they, yeah. the, the team knew I was going to be there. And they we were had, interested we had, in us meeting him. They were interested in us meeting him and it was the last piece of the puzzle. You made it easy for him, basically. Yeah. I made it easy there. for him. Yeah. We had lunch and we did a deal over lunch and he said, welcome to Tiger. Wow. So it was the type of thing that, you know, there's, there's opportunities come and go and it depends how far you can take them. Yeah. And it's really to sort of follow it up. Some will die, some will end, that you won't be able to, to do a deal, you won't be able to come to a, to a, a conclusion, um, that, a, a satisfactory conclusion. But you've got, to, you've got to take it as far as it can go. And, and I think there's two things out of that that are definitely the EOI processes. As, you know, you hear so many entrepreneurs say, get on the plane. Yes. You know, just go and do it. And, yeah. and, and I think that was the one piece. And I think the second thing is, you know, we were lucky. We saw this brand. We liked it. We met with the team. They were interested in us. But like I say, Leonard, or like Nas said, the Leonard was the, the last piece of the puzzle. Um, and you know that expression, the Thomas Jefferson quote, uh, I'm, I'm lucky, but the, look, the harder I work, the luckier yes. I am. You know, you've got to work for it. So, yes. you know, we cleared the schedule. Nile went. We, you know, we we had a pitch. We had uh, expansion plans. We had all this sort of stuff. And in the end, it was done over lunch. But you know, and I think Nile nearly said, "But I have a presentation." But we didn't. <laughs> no, and, you no. know, and there was that that you know, do the work. Yes. Uh, work hard and, and and work. Make sure you're ready to grab it with both hands. But I mean, the, to the original email we wrote on the plane from London back to Dublin to say, we want to work with Tiger. Isn't that fantastic? So, yeah, you know, you just do it, can just click grab straight it. Away. Yeah. I read a great quote from Lenart actually, an interview he did before, and he said, when he, his process of teaming up with mm -hmm. venture partners, or joint venture partners, is he says, it's, it's about your potential. It's not about what you've achieved before or whether you can calculate. That is not interesting. International partners are very, very dedicated people. Mm. So yeah. he's looking for that one quality. And obviously you've got, you guys have that in spades. And I think yeah. for us, that has been one of the real joys of this um, tr this adventure was meeting the other international partners. So there's an equivalent of Nile and yes. I in France and in Germany and England, and, and when we get together, I mean, it's painful because there's just so much energy in the room. We all go to bed exhausted every night because we could do this, we could do this, we could do this. But they're equally people who work hard and um, and are not afraid to put in the work to yeah. get. And, and, and he's right. It is about, it is, you know, he looked particularly for people who were not necessarily had retail experience, had business experience, but not necessarily retail, because he wanted us to disrupt and do it differently. He want he didn't want people coming in saying, oh, but in my other retail experience, we had to have yes. X amount of percentage of stock and we had to have X amount of percentage of turn. And he wanted to be able to disrupt that and take risks. Yeah, and he good. needed people who could do that. And, and, you know, taking people from outside of retail often worked for that. OK, so we did the deal over lunch, uh, plan worked out, first or 
2011 in Dunleary? Mm -hmm. Yes. Do you remember fifth, the day? Do you remember the day you opened the doors? Fifth of September. Fifth yeah. of September. Yeah. Remember the first but, sale? Yeah. 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 Everything about it. Yeah. So you walk uh, in the door that morning. What do you feel like? God, we've been there for about six days beforehand stocking So you were tired. It. We built... Um, <laughs> we were wrecked. Our, our little fella was only about uh, about a, a year and we'd built a fort out of boxes and he was in the middle of it and we just kept feeding him as we stocked <laughs> shops. And I don't believe in child labour except for my children and Kate was stocking, um, uh, stocking uh, shelves and it was really... There was a family vibe about it, that first shop. It was so... It, we had great fun. I mean, we were exhausted, but great fun. Do you remember setting the first uh, piece of... Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and we had no change at the time at all yeah. in, the, in the till. So I was up and down the main street in Dunleary shopping with like buying sweets with 20, 20 euros and getting change and buying more and, and bringing it back and trying to load up the till. That way. It was, because we, it was we couldn't a, find a, a, a cash transit that was interested in one shop. So we, you know, we were trying to and, and we hadn't thought it was one thing we hadn't thought about the, the, the register. We got a register it was working. We got a register unit and we just loaded all the, the bar codes up but we just forgot change and so yeah, yeah. kind of crazy. The glamour of entrepreneurship. The glamour. <laughs> correct, correct, yeah. I, and you say walking in that morning I think I think I was there at six o'clock in the morning scrubbing floors. Yeah. Um, I think it was six or it may have been the night before but like you know when every time we opened a shop you know we were hands-on I was hanging shelves and I was cleaning toilets because if they see us if people see you doing that then you know everybody pulls in everybody realizes well, okay we're yeah. all responsible for this yeah. job. But you're also getting to know your customers and your market and that's something else Denard said is you got to know the water that your fish are the fish are swimming in. Absolutely. Yeah. And exactly, you, yeah. to be in that position you get to learn your customers what they want what they don't want. And watching yeah. them dwell and watching them shop and watching them interact with the products and so the next time you're buying that product you can say oh I don't know and, and, and I mean the thing that always interests me is what's in one shop doesn't sell in another shop. Oh, really? So, so it comes down to that. I know geographically, we'll talk about your move to the, to the USA at a certain point a little later, but does it come down to what is popular in Limerick may not be so popular uh, in Dunleary? What's popular in Dunleary isn't popular in Dunmead. Isn't that very interesting? I, I mean, yeah. it's to do with and house city sizes. Stores, and city centre stores versus suburban stores. Yeah, you know, absolutely. The, people yeah. want different things and, um, and, and there's definitely a category mix that you can focus on in city centre versus a suburban yeah. store. Mm -hmm. And so obviously at a certain point you're trading for a while and you realise that we've got something going here, there's something happening here. Yep. At yep. what point did you decide we need to scale this and we need to scale it as fast? as we can pretty quickly yeah I think it was it was always our intention to get to we had a we had a, a figure of 10 stores mm. and we we're thinking okay if we can get to 10 stores that's it we've then scaled it we're, we're we're happy but in reality then when you start going around Dublin and w once we started we're getting calls from Galway calls from Limerick can you come to Limerick can you come to Galway we want a franchise well, social media is great for that how do we expand that and then you, you sort of the, you, the, the market starts to open up even more for you and um, the, so the, the scale came after that um, I was a, involved in construction I was a building contractor before Tiger started still am so um, from that point of view we were able to uh, once we found the locations and leased the space we were able to, to get in and fit out the stores as, as economically as we possibly and could as, and it's in a really short time frame you know we, yeah. could, we could open a store quickly um, and you know I suppose that, that whole fail fast we'd open stores and try it we were able to try things on, uh, you know, and see did it work and did it not work? And, were, you, and luckily, were you actually opening the store in? Were you getting partners in Galway and Limerick, etc.? No, no, these were no, your. No, no these so were all, was, yeah. we, we rolled out the network ourselves, but uh, the 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 the. Um, 
uh, it's funny once once you open one store, how word gets out so quickly to and, and people calling you from other parts of the, the country. Demand, yeah. And we're like, yeah, we, we we should really go to Galway, shouldn't we? You know, so and so the demand was was then there. Um, but we, I think at the time, 2011, 2012, as you know yourself, the market was was for retail was quite depressed. There was a lot of vacancy, and I think what we offered was uh, for a for a, a shopping centre owner, we weren't another. Uh, we weren't another shoe shop. We weren't another ladies' clothes shop. We weren't another men's clothes shop. So we weren't uh, we're directly. We weren't directly in competition mm-hmm. with the, their existing yes. customers and they their existing clients. Yeah. You will bring so people in, and then we're bringing a point of difference, and yeah. we bring people in. Uh, so then they wanted us. Yeah, and, I, I, and from there, really, sort of, we, we said, okay, this can really start to move now. Yeah. A shopping centre once uh, owner said to me, or uh, manager said to me once, you know, you're great. You're you're perfect for the daddy and the kids. Mommy can shop in the clothes. I mean, very stereotypical, but you know yeah, that we were offering something else into the mall or into the shopping centre yeah. to than uh, another fast fashion. So yeah. along with such scale comes finding properties, negotiating leases, uh, onboarding staff, um, dealing with mountains of paperwork and taxes and all that kind of stuff. Did this come naturally to you? Uh, it did to a degree, yeah. I was uh, I had experience in construction. I had experience in contract management. I had experience in leases uh, and in lease in in lease negotiation. And Gillian had the experience in the HR and the sort of operations piece. So I think uh, after the fourth store, you came in full time yeah. uh, into the business, and we really sort of we were in a really good position then to drive on to ramp it. Um, but as Gillian mentioned earlier, we got some of the best people we could ever imagine getting. Yeah. We had, we, we, our first store manager was fantastic. He then became uh, the trainer for the new store managers. He then became the district manager. You know, it was just growth from within yeah. and he was solid gold. Albert mm. uh, was, was, was his name. And then uh, Brian came in and Brian helped us out with our, he was a store manager, but he was really good with IT. And then, so he then took on IT and went, ran with the IT piece and that grew from the IT. So the people slotted into the place almost yeah, yeah. by and we were just so lucky and yeah. uh, and they were just really uh, uh, well um, I think I think our uh, so my approach around recruitment is that I, I'd worked in Trinity and um, so I was well used to recruiting people who are way more intelligent than I was and I'm a big believer that when you recruit somebody who's a 40 watt or a 60 watt or an 80 watt it makes you look better you know yes. so if you recruit somebody who's brighter than you it makes you look better and and I think the one you know, without sounding arrogant, we very little ego. Um, and so if someone's better than me at operations, I'm more than happy to say, you know what, you go and run with that or it's mm. at something, whatever it is. And so we recruited just amazing people that are smarter than us in many things, maybe not the whole picture, but, and we just let them run with it. And yeah. they did. And, and generally they were young in their career uh, or young to retail. Maybe they'd done something else beforehand mm-hmm. and were happy to, you know, to be given this opportunity to kind of go and run with things. Um, and so it just meant that they, you know, I think if you talk to them, they would probably feel they own Tiger as much as we did. Yeah, well, that's key. And as well, just be, before we, we take a break, you've mentioned before, I think it maybe on your LinkedIn program, profile, you say it's all about the people, both customers and colleagues. Mm. When you're ramping up that rapidly, how do you stay connected to your customers and colleagues? 
So I think it's presence. I think it's being present. And I mean, that was tough, particularly in the beginning years. You know, it's just being on the shop floor, working with colleagues and, you know, hearing what's going on um, being as receptive as you can. I mean, I, I managed the social media for a long time because I didn't want to let it go because that is, you know, it's, yes. it's, it's where you hear the bad stuff as much as you hear the good mm. stuff. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I, while I had someone sort of processing day to day, I very much kept on top of that. Um, and just really being present, uh, you know, we, I, I took part in every single induction of new staff, talked to them face to face, talked to them about our core values, uh, tried to make it to at least four stores a week, tried to work at least one four hour shift in a store each week. Um, now, towards the end of our, when we got to 28 stores, that was less and less possible. But at the beginning, that was really a focus of ours to be present and, and, and you know, be in the business. Now, the flip side to that is we really, we had to push ourselves to work on the business as well as in the Absolutely. business. And that that was, I think, one of the big things that we did was to try and pull ourselves out. Because I think my my um, happy place is being in the business, but you know, you have to pull Absolutely, out. Absolutely, you do, you have to have that wider view. Mm. So um, by 2016, you'd had 24 stores, a couple of hundred uh, employees, and a turnover of, a healthy turnover of several million, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, and you came to the attention of EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Yeah. And uh, we're going to take a short break. Would you stay with us? I'd like to hear sure. about that process and sure. about the experience yeah. um, and also about your move to the US. Okay. The Architects of Business on Joe, in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Gillian, in the past, you've described yourself as an accidental entrepreneur. Yeah. So from that perspective, how strange was it to find yourself as a finalist in the EY Entrepreneur of the Year in 2016? It was surreal. And yourself and I yeah, it was surreal. I mean, I suppose when we were approached about, uh, about applying, uh, I was a little reluctant. And uh, But in a couple of years before that, we had uh, applied for Company of the Year in Retail Excellence Ireland and won that. And I'd seen the positive effects within the business of you know, the pride and, and the team having that validation that what we're doing as a group uh, was good. And so this kind of seemed like the next really weighty competition that we could be part of. And, and I suppose we'd always watched it. My father's an entrepreneur. So, you know, it was always something It was part of the year that you watched Entrepreneur of the Year as a couple. We'd always watched it. So we kind of thought, look, nothing ventured, nothing gained. And I'll absolutely remember the first day they bring you in and you're with, uh, it's like the first day of school, but like no school you've ever been to. And you're sitting with everybody and I said, what do you do? And oh my God, you're that company? Oh my God, I'm sitting beside you. And definitely from being in part of the emerging category, you're, I mean, you're among people that you read about in the newspaper or yeah. hear about in the business news. And, but they're so welcoming and they make you feel like you're part of it. And, and, and I think for me, Nas always believed that he's an entrepreneur. He's always been, you know, that's who he is. Mm. Whereas for me, it was a validation of, oh, okay, yeah, we have done something amazing. And... Yeah. Uh, and that was huge. And and to sit in a room with some of these amazing people and learn from them and to be able to ask some questions, it's phenomenal. Yeah, and because uh, I think were you in the same category as Brian Lee from Freshly Chopped, mm -hmm. yes. who was previous guest on this this um, the, on the Architects of Business. So he would have been very much on a similar path to you mm -hmm. guys. Rapid expansion of uh, high street stores across yeah. Ireland mm -hmm. and obviously now the UK, etc. So you must have had some interesting conversations. 
absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Brian's a really interesting guy, uh, and we were able to collaborate on a few um, uh, ideas around leases and locations and that sort of stuff, um, and, and that, that's been really good. And again, he brings a point of difference at the time to the whole food offering for lunch and for healthy meals and for healthy food fast. So yeah. that's been really good. And branding. He's very, very strong on branding, Absolutely. which you guys are as well. And you, mm. the first thing you said earlier was this, the strength of the Tiger brand and how that connects with you. Yeah. So there's so much you can learn in a network like that. And of course, you described how busy you were trying to stay connected to your customers and staff. Um, and the, the time to network probably isn't as great as you would like. So this is like a, some, something that gives you that opportunity to network as well, I'm sure. Absolutely. And I think it also, more than that, um, you know, it, it allows you that opportunity to network, but it allows you to take a step out and reflect. I mean, the, the trip mm. to Boston that we did, um, you know, I know uh, we've discussed it with Brian, but, with, you know, we all came out of it kind of just, you'd come back in the evening and you'd be buzzing, not just from the education piece, but from the bus ride of sitting beside somebody who you discussed, uh, you know, a business issue. And people are so open and so candid and so honest about their experiences um, that you, I mean, you were exhausted for the week <laughs> because you literally are writing notes and yeah. must do this, must do that. And I'm sure when we came back to the business, people were like, oh God, here we go. Um, but it was just, uh, it's so inspirational, you know, really phenomenal. But you were talking about these inspirational people that you were with and how much you learned and how great it was to be among the greats. But do you feel you must have been able to contribute quite a lot to them as well in terms of your experience? Yeah, was that good for your yeah. confidence? You know, oh, to think, actually, yeah. I was just able to give something quite interesting insights and it, yeah. from part of my experience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it was certainly one of one of the, uh, uh, it helped us make the decision when we were asked to move to the States and to move the family out to the States because you really felt, you know, there's been a validation of what we've done in Ireland mm. and, uh, and and we want to take that to the States and try and make a difference in, in the States in a, in a new sort of environment still within Tiger stores. So how did that conversation and even that that's kernel of, of it, potential to go to the States come about? Because you were fl flying high at this mm -hmm. point. Yeah, initially um, back in 2016, I'd been to the States a couple of times um, for uh, from a construction management point of view and construction costs point of view. Um, so Tiger had started in 2015 and it was, it was really expensive for them to fit out stores in America. And our model works on um, a value-based fit-out, so it's not too expensive to fit out a store, so your, your, your repayment term is shorter. So I'd been out to try and help them reduce the construction costs and we managed to do that. And over the, the end of 2016, 2017, we got talking to the, to, the, to the guys in Denmark about wouldn't it be nice to uh, expand maybe to the States. And then they came back to, they came back to you originally. Mm. In, I mean, they uh, were looking June. for operations people. Yeah. They, they really realized that they had uh, an issue with the operations of the business. They'd grown so quickly. And, you know, there was, there was essentially nine stores running nine different ways mm -hmm. and uh, I suppose we are English speaking we throughout our time with Tiger because we were English speaking and Euro based anytime they wanted to roll out something they'd say hey Gillian now would you do this because we could because we were the right you know we, we had the, that that piece of being English speaking and, and Euro and uh, so they knew they could talk to us about things and so they'd said look we're, we're interested in doing this so initially they said would you send some people to, to the US to help train so we sent two of our, our experienced store managers and they did really well but they both came back and said look it's not a week long fix it's a there's a more of a 
you know, we really need to get back down to consistency and, and, and value operations and stuff. And um, so that was the feedback I'd given. And then we got chatting and he said, well, you know, would you would you think of doing it yourselves? And initially it was a conversation around would we do it ourselves and, and as a partner. As a partner. And um, and so anyway, the conversation went on and on and and we said, look, you know, we could both do it. And, you know, the it mix of skills. must be very interesting conversations between the two of you. <laughs> and you, what age were your kids at the time? Uh, 11, 11 and seven. 7. Yeah, this isn't like, you know, talking about a trip to Tato Park. No. Correct. I, I, I think two things helped seal the deal for us. Uh, we... We've got a good, great mix of skills that, you know, we both complement each other. And I thought that, you know, we knew we could do something there. We looked at the business enough. Niall had been over. We knew that there was something we could help deliver. Uh, we also, I, when I was th uh, 11, my parents moved to Saudi Arabia for two years. And I feel it defined who I am. It showed me the world was bigger than Ireland. And it showed me that all these different cultures and all this different, uh, this bigger world. And we were never going to move to Saudi or we were never going to move to France because of language. So America was this opportunity to show our kids that the world is bigger, as well as, of to, uh, as, well as for us to have this really interesting professional opportunity. And so it kind of seemed like the, a really great opportunity and we just thought, right, let's do it. Yeah. At that stage, we had, we had grown Tiger stores in Ireland to 28 stores, both, yeah. both north and south. And we felt, you know, there's more growth there, certainly, but not as much growth as, you know, we initially taught 10, we're now at 28. How many more Tiger stores are we going to get? So just America was just this <clears throat> fantastic opportunity for us mm. to work with a business that we love, we trust, <laughs> we respect and and take it to a take it to another level, take it to another country and start to grow it again. Mm. And uh, it was a different challenge because it was more about fixing it than growing it right now. And um, we really needed to get the get back to the operational excellence that we that we felt we were at in Ireland mm. to be able to then get it in a really good foundation to, to grow it forward. And yeah, to get but it that shows how mature you had become as entrepreneurs when you're not at the point of scaling anymore, but now you're you're to a point of maturity where you now you need to introduce efficiencies and you can Absolutely. see where the fat is and mm. that yeah. kind of thing. So um, as part of the experience of the, the moving to the States to take on this project, you had to sort of sell your part of Tiger Ireland, is that right? And become essentially employees of Tiger. Correct, yeah, the Tiger business in America was wholly owned. So they owned the 100% the, the of New York and New Jersey uh, of that business. And uh, we just felt uh, leaving Ireland, there was an opportunity then to- To buy uh, in. To buy, uh, to, for the Danish company to buy us our interest out of Ireland. So they, we negotiated a sale um, and uh, we sold our 50% back to the Danish company. So they're 100% owners of Ireland. And then we moved out to, um, the head offices in New York. We lived in New Jersey, and we were employees in in of the um, wholly owned business. And how did that feel being an employee as opposed to? Yeah, I, I've been self-employed for 20 years. Mm. So to work, to go back directly working for someone was a real uh, a real challenge. Uh, it was, uh, we learned so much from it, but it was, a, it was a real challenge just sort of getting our head around it because in Ireland, we had a certain amount of autonomy. We owned 50% of the business, but we were, we were running the business in Ireland. And we were where, performing, so they... And we were yeah. performing. You know, so yeah. so it, it wasn't as if when you wanted to do something, you 
you said, well, it's my business, our business, we would go and do it. In America, it was a different scenario. The business was in, was, was losing some money uh, and it meant that we had to be quite calculated in where we spent our money and how we spent it and what the return would be and make a presentation for that. And I think that's the core piece. We didn't, you know, it, the difference was just simply, they, they very much said, get on with it. But we just had to let them know what we were doing. Yeah. And so that was the slight difference where a lot of our discussion would be just the two of us walking the beach or driving, the, you know, just the two of us making a decision. We just had to add a third element yes. into that. Yeah. And, yeah. Then, and, you know, it, it, that I suppose the, frustra the slight frustration was that added time because you're at a six hour time difference. So, you know, you couldn't get an immediate answer on something. But, you know, you get used to that and, and you know, there's also then a, a robustness to making decisions because sometimes that six hours helps you make, you know, reflect on things a little bit more. Point, so. yeah. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of the difference in the culture and the market, when it specifically about Tiger Stores and the, cons the American consumer versus the Irish consumer, the way, the experience they want, the products they want, was there a very big difference? I think I'd break it into two parts. I'd say that the market uh, is just the scale of it is phenomenal. Mm. Um, and I think that's the one piece we would, you know, the opportunity, the enormity of people uh, passing your door is mm. phenomenal. I think what um, I think the, the one problem around consumers is American consumers are used to noise. You know, it's it's um, uh, loyalty cards, it's discount, Sales. it's bargain, it's sale, it's, you know, they're used to lots and lots of noise. And that isn't really the tiger model. And we've had to adapt it to, we don't, you know, we, we much more come in and we'll entertain yes. you while you're there. So we've definitely had to do work on making ourselves compete with, you know, if you walk a mall in America, every second store has a sale or a discount or a yes. buy one, get one free or Labor Day or, uh, you know, and, and so we definitely had to adapt the model to, to react to that environment, wouldn't mm. you say? Yeah, absolutely. And then getting to know the culture and moving outside the borders, there would be a lot of um, business owners and entrepreneurs who will watch Architects of Business and they will be thinking of internationalizing, scaling outside the borders of Ireland and maybe opening up operations elsewhere. What did you learn or what advice would you give for people who are in that position in terms of getting to know that market, in terms of setting yourself up for success? Yeah, I think the first piece of the puzzle is the research as to who is currently there, what prices they're at, and what they're offering. And then to say, okay, what is what um, what point of difference can I offer by coming into the market? Because as Gillian said, the market's noisy, but it's also really crowded. There's a lot of there's a lot of retail in America. And if you lay on Amazon on top of that, it's another, it, it adds another complexity to it. So I'd say, yes, as, as Gillian mentioned, there's huge opportunity. So if you take the States, for example, or if you take international expansion, even in Europe, there's huge opportunity. But I'd say it, the research piece is the, is the main piece of the puzzle at the start, um, just to know your market, know your business. And then from there, then you can then you can make steps to say, okay, am I going to trade in a different currency in dollars in pounds? Am I going to stay in euros? You know, so so you can you can work those other issues out once you figure out the the need and the demand in the in the market you run into. I think the other thing we've totally discovered and uh, is you know the network of Irish people and and it's. You know, New York is is, is phenomenal for it, but mm -hmm. anywhere in the in the world, there are 
Irish people willing you along and, and willing to talk and willing to engage. And, you know, I suppose I would have been a little reluctant to tap into that environment initially because I kind of thought, you know, we're there. But you just can't not, you can, you know, they're everywhere and, and, and are so willing for another Irish person to succeed that that network is phenomenal to tap in. I mean, the alumni network for starters, but then just a general larger Irish market. I mean, you know, we had this we had this issue with HEVAC um, in one of the stores and I was walking down the street and got talking to a guy in a HEVAC van who turned out he was from Tala and, you know, next thing his boss was there and they were doing us a great deal. You know, it, it is... It, 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 there's a mafia, but it's, you know, it's a good thing. <laughs> Use you know? it. Yeah. 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 And then just while we're speaking about kind of what you've learned and, and advice that you'd have, this sort of joint venture partnership slash franchise model um, is, again, something that is extremely um, uh, sort of common and successful, I suppose you could mm -hmm. say. Having, having worked with the franchise or a venture partner for some time now, um, what would you say are the key things to do to make that partnership work really well? The one thing I'd say is Tiger was not a franchise. So it's, it's a joint venture partnership. And, and the slight so difference... it's a lot closer than... Yeah, mm -hmm. the slight difference is they've skin in the game. You know, with a franchise, here's the secret sauce, now good luck. Uh, okay. Whereas with a joint venture, you know, they really had an involvement and engagement in your business. Um, and, and, and I think that adds a different dynamic than a franchise dynamic. And my, my belief is that it, it really would... It, it, it keeps them closer, keeps them more involved, keeps them more engaged. Yeah. Um, and it worked really well for us. And I think the, you know, the piece around that is just keep talking. You know, it's, yes, it's like any partnership. You know, if you go into business with any partner, it's about that regular communication, both informal and formal. I mean, one of the great um, uh, things that Niall and I got very much rolled out from day one was board meetings. So we had board meetings in Denmark, but then we also because of the dynamic of being husband and wife, there was a fear. Well, A, there was a fear we'd kill each other if we started working together, but we got over that yeah. quickly. Yeah. But You're both still here today. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad yeah. to still see married. you on the same couch. <laughs> still married, yeah. But, but we, uh, we were afraid that we wouldn't always tell each other the truth. You know, and, and if you... If something wasn't going well, or if was, you know, would we always be honest with each other about opportunities or risks? So from day one, we brought in um, some external people, an accountant and a, and a retail expert, to sit on a in a board meeting for one day every kind of couple of months, say six weeks, and we'd sit in a room and talk about the business and. And then we'd do that. We'd fly to Denmark and do that with our, our partners in Very Denmark. Good. So that level so of communication. The, yeah. So who? So who was in that room? Who? That's because this is a really interesting thing for, and I think uh, an insight into into business. Who is that person? Not the actual person, but what is that role that you would bring into a room? And so and it, was, it was a mirror. Someone who held up a mirror and asked the hard questions. You know, because you know I. It, as a husband and wife, do you keep pushing each other, you know, when they're not answering the question, knowing that yep. when you get home that night, it's going to be, and you didn't put the dustbins <laughs> out, you know, and whatever it is. So, you know, I think we've enough respect for each other that we didn't want that to happen. So it was someone who just asked those hard questions. You know, we didn't need to sit and congratulate ourselves on a great set of accounts. We needed to find out what was wrong with the accounts. Where was the, where was the next opportunity? Where was the next gap? Where was the risk? And, and so just someone who is really robust and not afraid to challenge you and and make you feel kind of you know awkward so you'd have to kind of go okay look I don't know the answer to that and okay I'm going to go away and look for it um where you know to make sure that we would never 
not uh, not push each other, you know, and, mm. and, and to make yeah. sure that we would get the most out of that. No, but it's very it's a very clever thing to do. Well, we got some advice. I think <laughs> so, when, when, yeah. when we were when we had the ability to do that, then we we were able then to bring in as our team expanded, we were able to bring the team into that mm. meeting, into that conversation. So our head of finance, our head of retail mm. was there. So um, uh, the experts and the mentors that we were bringing in were, were mentoring and guiding these guys and girls as well. Mm -hmm. So it meant then the business was really starting to flourish because everyone was involved, everyone was being challenged to, you know, to um, perform better, to do better, to lead their teams better. So I think from that point of view, it was it was invaluable. Just back, but one one point maybe back to your you, you asked about what um, what makes the good the, the, what what advice would you give from a joint venture partnership or a franchise partnership? I think one of the one of the things I would think about is um, there's a quote I don't know who said it maybe Stephen Covey or it was, was begin with the end in mind. Mm. So it's really to and I suppose that what I mean by that is to figure out well the, the, what does the franchisee in this case, want? Do they want one store and are happy with one store and that's all they ever want? Or do they want 10 or 20 or 30? And just to make sure your goal aligns. So the person who wants to bring Tiger in or the next uh, the next great retail business into Ireland, it's to say, okay, well, what do I want out of this? And and does your, does your goals align with the parent company or with the franchise owner or with the master franchisee, depending on who it is? Because that will determine whether you're able to expand quick enough or you're not able to expand quick well, enough. Whether they can support you, you in that expansion they, whether or Whether they not. can export you in, yeah. that, in, in that expansion. So I suppose it's, it's, it's really to see, are you aligned in your thinking? Not for one store. One store will come and will happen and it'll be great. But it's 10 stores and 20 stores. Yes. And, and that's really the piece. So to begin with, it, with, with the end in mind is a little bit like, let's look at five years, where you want to be and chart that roadmap to, mm. to get there. And that would be just a small piece of advice to, mm. to someone else that's starting on this mm. journey. So tell, take us to now. So wh wh where are you now in terms of Tiger, lo geographic location? You know, it's been such a whirlwind nine years. I don't even know where you might be right now. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, we're, uh, we're out of Ireland and we're in, uh, we've, we've spent the last almost two years in America. And our, con our, our contract was, was a two-year contract for America. And we said in those two, we outlined very clearly in the two years what we would achieve. And we've now achieved those goals. Well so we've, we've achieved the, the uh, stability of the um, wholly owned business. We've set up a new partnership in Boston. We're talking to another new partnership as well uh, in more southern states. So we've, we've now achieved that. And we're in the process now of moving back to Ireland over the next sort of three months to uh, get the family settled back in and then see what's next on the agenda. Yeah. The last nine years, how has this experience changed you individually, but maybe also as a couple in business? Nine years ago, I ran a construction business with uh, fluctuating between five people and 20 people. And, and from Gillian's point of view, uh, was, was, was uh, uh, assistant recruitment director for, for Trinity College. In the nine years, we've employed 
260, 270 people at the height of it. And we've run a, a fantastic business in Ireland and got to go to America and, and do the same in America. So it's been, it, it's been a whirlwind of, a nine, of nine years and a fantastic adventure. And it really, it's really set us up for 2020, coming back to say, okay, What's, What's next? next on the agenda for Ireland? And there's lots of ideas. We're talking to various different people about, you know, um, uh, supporting, joining, investing, running. There's just so many, there's so many opportunities. I think right for now. me, I, I've uh, a real grow to go back to social entrepreneurship. That was where I started. Um, you know, I worked for the Special Olympics when they were in Ireland and then moved into Trinity because I felt that was sort of a conduit into a, a sort of social entrepreneurship as, a, you know, was a, it was for the greater good, if nothing else. Um, and and I, I feel that there's something there for me and I have a couple of ideas around that. But I'm also going to take some time off. I've worked, we've worked. I think since, you deserve it. Well, I've worked since <laughs> I was 18 and I just feel, you know, this is a time a kid's re-entry into, into Ireland might not be as easy as we think. And, you know, we got used to the Jersey lifestyle. So, you know, I think just taking some time to kind of take a breath and see what's see what's there and 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 uh, you know assess the opportunities. I doubt Niall will take the breath. I think there's about four or five not different even. pots <laughs> boiling in the back of the the kitchen. <laughs> but I think what'll be interesting is to maybe not work together for a little while. I think mm. you know we'll always be involved in each other's businesses and and you know our kids. I think we'll really struggle when there's not business being talked at the, din the dinner table, even though we always said we wouldn't do it, but we do it every day. <laughs> um, but I think it'll be nice to do something different and maybe something apart for a little while and, mm. and, and you know, see where we go with that. Well, look, based on the last nine years, you know, I have no doubt that we may be sitting here again in a few years time talking about the success of an entirely new business and um, be it together or individually. And I really appreciate you coming in today. Thank you. Um, no problem. Gillian Thanks Maxwell, Niall Stringer, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for tuning in to Joe's Architects of Business in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Thanks to all of the team here at Maximum Studios and of course to my guests, Gillian and Niall. If you haven't already done so, please do subscribe to the show to get a brand new episode for free into your feed every fortnight. I'm Patrick Hawhey. Take care and we'll talk soon. The Architects of Business on Joe in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year telling the inspirational stories behind Ireland's most successful entrepreneurs.